0: Welcome to the Shear Law Group's podcast of Truth Serum. Law, real estate, and everything else that matters. Shear Law Group represents lenders, landlords, and investors throughout the state of California with offices in the San Francisco Bay Area and Orange County, California. Laws change daily. Economic trends change faster than at any time in history. Ignorance is not bliss. And the unwary and unprepared get punished if they fail to keep up. If you want insightful information on issues of interest to the real estate lender, landlord, or investor, you've come to the right place. Add on some colorful commentary on everything else that matters, and you're now ready for Truth Serum with your host, Spencer Shear.
1: 2021 was a wild year. We hope 2022 will be better. After a worldwide pandemic, lockdowns, vaccinations, and turbulent economic and political and social turmoil, we could sure use a rest. However, life doesn't work this way. And as we enter the new year, we want to give a brief recap of some of the new laws and trends we've observed and trends we think may take hold in 2022. I hope you've enjoyed the Truth Serum podcast. It's a labor of love for me. And we're starting to get national traction. We just passed 10,000 downloads in less than eight months. And we're interviewing nationally known and interesting guests on everything that matters. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and leave some feedback wherever you get your podcasts. As far as 2021 trends that we think are going to continue in 2022, I've spotted three of them. That I think are going to carry over. First is friction between government control and regulations and individual rights. The pandemic resulted in an acceleration of local, state, federal, and bureaucratic control that hasn't been seen since World War II. From lockdowns and mandatory vaccinations, to suspensions of rights to travel, to suspension of creditor and landlord rights to enforce legal obligations, the governing authorities, unelected bureaucrats, and social media titans exercised power and control over individual rights in a manner that hasn't been seen for most of us in our lifetime. Sending cash payments to those in need and those who had no need pacified many who would have otherwise balked at such government overreach. I expect that the government overreach and the overregulation is going to continue, and that there's going to be a populist pushback, and then even more government and tech overreach in response. I expect that in November, the elections will be a determinative factor resolving this conflict, unless... Tribal instincts begin to take over and predominate to such an extent that a significant number of people lose faith in the integrity and the allegiance to the current system. The second trend I see continuing is inflation versus deflation. The economy is everyone's concern, and as of December 2021, gas in California is $5.25 a gallon. Food costs more, and the Fed and central banks everywhere claim they're going to raise rates to stem the rising tide of inflation. So the battle between inflation and deflation appears to have been won by the inflationists, right? Not so fast. The bond market is still saying the opposite. With 10-year T-bill rates around 1.5%, and the economic recovery sputtering and faltering across the globe, it's still dependent on easy money central bank policies. I think there'll be a slowing economy, and that'll be a primary focus in 2022. There'll be a rush to risk off and safe haven assets during 2022. I think many investments in assets that are now in favor may be out of favor in 2022. Third trend I see continuing is sovereign transition to digital assets. 2021 saw an explosion in the perceived value of Bitcoin and other digital assets, the implementation of a digital yuan by the Chinese government, and a stampede to develop the metaverse. I think this trend is going to continue with investors and entrepreneurs seeking new investment opportunities that eclipse stocks and bonds and traditional assets. I believe this will lead to a rapid expansion of new decentralized platforms that offer alternatives to banks and traditional financing because investors will see the futility and the uncertainty of traditional assets and lending. As a result, I believe that sovereign nations, including the U.S., will accelerate their efforts to develop their own digital currency so they can gain control and surveillance not only of decentralized financial transactions, but of all financial transactions and personal information through these digital currencies that will be issued by the sovereigns. Of course, no mortal can predict the future. And even the prophets in the Old Testament were to be stoned, not a medical term, if they were wrong. So don't count on any trend I mentioned to be accurate. They're my perspectives only. The law on the legal front there's been an explosion of new laws and regulations some that should be of interest to lenders and i'll go through three that are of note and concern one the fair debt collection practices act's been amended effective eleven thirty twenty one. 21 required disclosures have been expanded debt validation requirements have changed and safe harbor forms have been issued if you're a debt collector and you're just charging into 2022 unprepared, do be prepared to be sued out of existence by opportunistic plaintiff's lawyers. Number two is California SB 908, which requires that debt collectors be licensed in California, effective one 22 Many loan servicers, loan originators, and law firms conduct activities that require that they be licensed under the statute. But they don't know it. Failure to know whether you're a covered entity can be fatal to your economic well-being. So investigate now while you have the time. Number three is SB 1079, which was recently amended. For those who don't uh, know what that is, it's California legislation that amended and governs non-judicial foreclosure sales. It's been amended now to be cleaning up some of the problems from the original legislation. To recap, foreclosure sales may not be final for as long as 45 days, if eligible bidders who intend to own or occupy a property submit a qualifying bid or an affidavit. The impact of the statute on the finality of foreclosure sales, especially on foreclosing junior lienors who are subject to a foreclosure by the senior, can't be overstated. Learn the law before you bid at a foreclosure sale. In this chest, California homeowners can soon expect to get over a billion dollars in mortgage assistance next year. The American Rescue Plan Act of 2021 provided that the U.S. government would allocate over $9.9 billion for homeowners assistance throughout the states. And based on the allocation formula, California was to get over $1.55 billion of those funds. The Treasury Department on December 21 approved California's plan for use of these funds. And it's estimated that California will be able to provide as many as 40,000 homeowners with mortgage assistance to cure delinquencies. Think about this, the program will help homeowners make past due payments to a maximum of $80,000 per household by making direct payments to their mortgage servicers. Will the stimulus ever end? And finally, on a lighter note, in the face of all this uncertainty and change, you may be tempted to just fly to Vegas or go down to your local casino and put all your money on Lucky 7 at the roulette table and hope for the best. Before you do... Listen to my interview with entrepreneur and gaming industry insider, Rick Lopez. It could be one of the smartest investments of time that you've made all this year.
0: Laws and Real Estate
1: All right, Rick, let me introduce you to our listeners. You have over 25 years' experience in sales and development in the casino gaming industry. You currently work with eConnect as executive director of casino sales and product development. You're an entrepreneur and a software developer. You're a co-developer with eConnect and their award-winning artificial intelligence for loss prevention solution software and you hold multiple patents around facial recognition and use of facial recognition to reduce money laundering. You're also a co-owner of two casino businesses. The first one is Rolled Up Gaming Partners, which developed and patented several table games, which include Bonus Spin Blackjack, Bonus Spin pie Gow, and Three Hand Hold'em. The second one is Bad Hair Gaming, which has developed an artificial intelligence-driven blackjack shoe called the Data Cradle. The Data Cradle assists casinos with identification of advantage players, commonly called card counters, and maximizes the profitability of casino Blackjack Games. Rick, welcome to Truth Serum.
2: Thank you so much, Spencer. Appreciate it. And uh, let me clarify that bad hair is the rabbit, not
1: H-A-I-R. Ah, got to know that. Very good. Yes. All right. So let me, let me talk about uh, casinos. Most people think of them as just the dens of iniquity. But what I understand is the casino was regulated as a bank under the Bank Secrecy Act. Is that true?
2: That is true. Uh, under the Bank Banking Secrecy Act of 1975, they deemed that casinos are actually banks that create their own currency and they are regulated under the same type of umbrella. And so they're also monitored by the same know-your-customer type of initiatives that any bank or, or banking institution would be.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I think of it, you know as a you know, I don't want to be pejorative. You think of them as like they're either shady or there's the mafia or they're a big business or all three combined. But I never think of them as a banking institution. That's interesting.
2: You know, what's funny is it, it, we all have this perception of of um, the old mafia days and Lucky, lucky Luciano starting out yes. down in Vegas and whatnot. And, you know, the, the mafia somehow drives those casinos. Today... They're all uh, traded on the New York Stock Exchange. They're one of the most highly regulated industries in the entire world. And on top of that, um, they self-regulate. So even if you're going to tribal gaming, uh, the tribes self-regulate and submit to the Nevada Gaming Control Board, which is uh, a division of the FBI uh, in and of itself. And so it's one of the most safe... um, well, I wouldn't say safe, but it is one of the most highly regulated industries in the world, and there are no uh, gang activities that control, the, you know, that's not to say that gangs don't come into casinos, but there is nobody who's actually running the the mainstream casinos that are tied to the mafia or any type of gang activity.
1: Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Let me ask you: Are casinos truly regulated, or do they cook the machines or the programs? So no, it,
2: it's funny you you've got these um, perceptions, and every gambler has their own, you know, their, their their own way of looking at how the machines work. And you know, oh, that machine over there is hot. Or you could even you even talk to the employees at the casinos, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that machine's about to hit," it, and that could not be farther from the truth. OK, the way a slot machine works, and we can get into table games a little bit later, but the way a slot machine works is it's a random number generator that produces an outcome. So every reel has its own set of, let's say, 13 stops. OK, so you have a blank, you have a cherry. You have a blank, you have a bar. You have a blank, you have the triple bar. You have blank, you have a seven. And you have 13 stops all the way around. But within that, uh, you have a certain number of stops for every stop. So that blank may have 2,000 addresses. Um, and every reel may have a million addresses with a certain number of each stop allocated to a certain number of addresses. This is how they manipulate the statistics uh, or the probability of certain events happening. If you have uh, 100 stops that are blanks and you have 10 stops that are cherries, then there's a 10% chance of those cherries coming up. So you've just manipulated the statistics based off of the number of stops that are assigned to every or addresses based off of every stock. All right, of so
1: let me let me slow, slow this down for the uh, uneducated or the <laughs> uneducated like myself. Is that? But these are programmed in, so the casinos can't sit there and adjust them on the fly. They're they're basically baked, so that you have that whatever chance is built in to succeed. Right?
2: Correct. And there and there are regulatory agencies such as Gaming Laboratories International. Another one's BMM uh, out of Australia that are test agencies that test the randomness. And every slot machine that goes into the field has been tested over a 10 million hand or 10 million coin cycle so that they can guarantee to within a thousandth of a percent exactly what the hit frequencies are on those slots. But keep in mind that every time you push that button, it's a brand new random event.
1: All right, so let me, one more time, again, for the uneducated uh, so we can understand this. So I get it. There's a random generated win or loss, but uh, again, are casinos required to give you like a 10 or 15 percent chance at winning, or do some casinos squeeze it down to one percent? And w- what's the the parity in there? The, there
2: are, there are laws that that regulate that. Okay, the worst percentage, and I'm talking about a return to player. Okay, is how, how much money gets returned for every hundred dollars you bet this is what it should average out as a payback. Yep. Okay. So when we talk about a payback, let's say the very worst you can have, which is somewhere around 84%. So for every $100 you spend, $84 should be re- returned to you through through normal play. And that's average, okay? Because sometimes you have, you know, some some variation if somebody hits a jackpot, you also have uh, high, high loss frequency. Yes. But it's going to average out to that. And let's say 84% is the worst. 102% is the best you possibly could do within the, the legal ramifications. All
1: right, one more thing. This is great. I'm, I'm totally interested in this. So if a casino hits, say they, they, they were, they were unfortunate, they hit like 70% or very fortunate, they hit 150%. How do, how do they have to make up for that discrepancy?
2: That that happens over a a large average number of bets. Okay. So you may have volatility immediately where, okay, I come in, I got lucky, I hit a jackpot, and then I hit another jackpot. That's going to throw off the hold percentage of that slot machine. But over a long uh, average number of bets, let's say a million, 10 million bets. that, that fluctuation where I just won two jackpots back-to-back is going to average out and it's going to fall to within that parameter that it should be at of whatever that hold percentage was.
1: Right, one last thing, and I'm just trying to catch this all the way to the end. So let's say that's the way it should go and under random generation. Let's say a casino, whether they're cooking the books or something just weird happens statistically and it turns out that the regulators come in and they see that the casino got to like 150% or they were losing at 70%. How do they adjust that or they fine them or what do they do? There,
2: there is no... If a program is issued for a slot machine, it's been tested. There is no, oh, it accidentally did this. If it, if it is... At 150%, it's just because it got lucky.
1: I got so the tested, uh, like good housekeeping, seal of gambling, and they go on.
2: I, exactly. I got you. Now, now I'm, I'm going to clarify with something also really quick, because your your listeners are going to be very interested in this. I talked about 84% being the worst that you could be paid back Yes, uh, within a casino. Okay, Usually, that is tied. To a game like Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, uh, something that is well known that maybe there's a movie or a or a television show that's associated with that with that game, and the reason for that is like let's say with uh, Wheel of Fortune, Sony Picture Studios is going to take six percent of those revenues mm. as their own, you know, for for royalties. Yeah. So, in order for the casino to get their cut, the game manufacturer to get their cut, and then also Sony Picture Studios to get their cut, they have to give you worse odds so that it holds more money. So, I always tell people if you're going to play slots, play something completely unknown. Oh, that's great.
1: That's great. So, is that the, the, the more well known
2: it is, the worse your chances. Exactly, because you have to pay somebody for the license of that brand. Whereas if it's an unknown, if there's no brand associated, if it's just you know whatever slot machine from whatever maker that was just made up, they don't have to pay six percent and hold an extra six percent just to make sure that the licensor got their sh- their
1: cut. Very good point. All right, let's switch a little bit here. Uh, let's talk about uh, facial recognition software. I understand that. Uh, that's becoming not only, it's becoming standard fare casinos. And tell me why and tell me a little bit about it.
2: So facial recognition within the casino industry is, it's not about if, it's when. Okay? Everybody's going to have it. It, it. There is no way around it. Uh, when you start holding a casino accountable to the bank, Banking Secrecy Act, and you say you have to know where the money comes from for every player that you have, um, especially anybody who spends over $10,000 or collects over $10,000, you have to have a way to find, those, uh, find out where those people came from and where that money came from or, or whatnot. So being able to identify your customers in a place where you have 50,000 people walking around every day Banks don't have that. Casinos have to. They, they, you know, they're drawing people, especially Las Vegas, where you have tourism, and you have people coming in all day long. You can't guarantee that you know your customer, and so facial recognition. Um, and, and and let me back this up. Facial recognition is not done within a casino for sport. It's not like we just oh. Recognize your face because we can. Let's let, let's see, you know Spencer's face, and oh yeah, we recognize him. So good for us. That's not how it works. We uh, and part of what I've invented and what I have patented is what's called data-driven facial recognition. Your face is recognized through cameras associated with a transaction. If you go in and you're doing something nefarious and your face is recognized with that transaction, those two get tied together, okay? Then your face is interesting to us and we're going to research it.
1: Could could you give me an example of that? You're saying, for example, if if I came up in a database and I did a transaction, how would that work?
2: So let's say you walked into a casino Mm. and we use facial recognition at the entrances to say, okay, log this face. And we know Spencer's face now, okay? But now, every time you go to a slot machine and you insert money, you get what's called a Tito ticket. Ticket in, ticket out, okay? You put money in, you get a ticket or a voucher that is worth whatever amount of cash you have left over or what you've won from a slot machine. Yes. Okay? So let's say you came in and you we're seen cashing out over $10,000 worth of Tito tickets over a 24-hour period of time. Okay, The casino is now obligated to file what's called a currency transaction report. But if you were doing so in which you were probably not wanting to be seen doing it, in which you go to a ticket redemption kiosk and let's say you put in $500 ticket. And then you walk across the casino floor and you put in another $500 ticket. And then you go to another kiosk and you put in another $1,000 ticket. And you're doing this, obviously trying to cover up some sort of transaction. What we do is we tie that, that ticket amount to your face. So I don't know your name. But if I can use your face and I can tie that transaction to the face, and that face becomes the anchor for all
1: transactions throughout the casino. A quick, quick, couple of quick questions on that. First, is that in play now? It is w- widely in play now. And before it was in play, how
2: did they do that if they, if they did? They were only able to report on what was seen by an employee. Ah. And so this has changed the game for casinos. Yeah. Because now we don't even have to know your name to say that face is responsible for Tito tickets throughout the entire casino or certain transactions, cash transactions throughout the casino. And even if we don't know your name, as soon as you breach that threshold, we can now send security to go get your identification in real time. So you... Spend, 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 spend throughout the entire casino, and then all of a sudden, you breach that level. Now security's right there saying, "Hey, Mister Shear, can we get your ID? Or, or actually, you wouldn't know your your last name. He's sir, sir. Can I get some identification from you? Um, and now we do know your name, and we are able to report back to Fincen. Fincen is the uh, the division of the IRS that is in charge of uh, financial um, financial tracking for banks.
1: Okay, let, let me uh, do a little bit of an uh, offshoot from that. So beyond the security issues, the reporting issues, do the casinos use facial recognition software to trace my habits so that they can uh, pitch me, for lack of a better word, of, for services or products?
2: Not that I know of, and matter of fact, that is frowned upon. Uh, marketing, like I said, we fa- facial recognition is generally, genuinely, not used for sport. Okay, which would include pitching products and, and marketing to somebody. Um, the other reason you might use facial recognition is if you were a known card counter, or you were known. A
1: uh, money launderer. Yeah, we'll or, get to that in a little bit. That That's a lot to do with your uh, latest product. Yes, yes, absolutely. All right. Let me switch a little bit here. appreciate that. You've been... Uh, you're, this is great information. Let's talk about what they call the gambler's fallacy. You've already alluded to it, but let's flesh it out a little bit for everybody. A, a, a general definition uh, of the gambler's fallacy, it's a belief that random outcome is either more or less likely to occur after the occurrence of another random event or series of events. So again, I don't want to make it too complex, but I'll break it down uh, to an explanation as I've found as follows. It says the only true statistical random event is a coin toss because the possible outcome, heads or tails, are statistically independent. You can't predict better than a 50-50 chance afforded you from the existence of just two options. What the next stock outcome will be based on the knowledge of the previous outcome. And again, here's an example. If a person flips the coin five times and sees the same outcome each time, he may decide that the next flip of the coin will produce a tails result since tails is due. The reality of this is that the sixth coin toss has the same chances of landing heads or tails as the previous five. So true or false. If someone plays a slot machine for two hours and doesn't win a jackpot, the next person who gets on that machine has a better chance of winning a jackpot.
2: Absolutely false. Why? Because laws of randomness is exactly like you said with the to- coin toss. I could sit here and flip a coin and it could come up heads 25 times. All things being equal with that with you know that coin's not weighted or anything like that, there is no guarantee that it's going to be tails the next time.
1: Has anybody ever seen a coin toss 25 times, heads in a row? Ever? I, I, not
2: that I, I, <laughs> I can't tell you yes or no on that, but with a slot machine, with a video poker game, with pretty much anything, it is a random event every time you push the play button. And it's a true random event. I I read something the other day, and this blew my mind. If you take a deck of cards and you shuffle it, let's say, 10 times, statistically, statistically speaking, it will be in an order that has never been done before. (laughs) So all 52 cards, if you replayed 52 cards uh, after shuffling it 10 times, in the history of cards and, and and whatnot, it will be in a completely un- unique order.
1: You know, it's interesting. I'll give you my corollary of that because I appreciate that. Is I play chess all the time, like online chess or whatever. And and every I keep thinking, I've seen all these moves before. But it seems like every game, there's one thing that comes up that's never come up before. Even the craziest of repetitive games. And,
2: and that's what makes chess so brilliant is no matter how far you can think ahead there's always there's always something that changes that yes. changes everything yes and it's one move now you've got an entire sequence of events that happens after that that are brand new butterfly effect i would say so
1: very good all right let's let's switch this over to the same concept we're talking about the card counting because there's something at least Uh, I think you would probably agree that that's something you can actually do to make the odds go in your favor, correct?
2: Yes. That is something where during certain situations or certain times, the odds are actually in your favor or
1: suitably equal so that it's worth it to bet more. All right. So again, I don't want to spoil the, uh, do a spoiler alert here, but card counting I don't know if it's illegal, but it definitely is not uh, allowed by casinos. Why isn't that just something that people who who are smart and with good memory should be able to do to even the odds? Well, first of all, it's not illegal. Okay, card counting
2: is perfectly legal. However, if you let card counters come in and do do whatever they want to do to even the odds, then Mm -hmm. casinos quickly go out of business. Okay? Uh, If you're banking the house, and you give up your edge, then you're not going to be in, in business long. Plus, you have somebody who owns that business, and they have the right to refuse service to anybody. If somebody demonstrates that they are card counting, there's a couple things that happen. It, it, it's not like, um, you know, Lawrence Fishbird and the Movie Twenty One, where he comes down and he, "We're going to arrest you," or he, you know, some guy named Guido in the back room with hairy knuckles is going to rub you out. Basically, the the average casino, if they if they spot Spencer card counting, they're going to come down and they're going to cap your wagers. Okay, and what I mean by that is your let's say your average bet is fifty dollars. But then, as soon as the card count is really in your favor to make a big move, the only way to make money card counting is to increase your bet when the odds are in your favor. Well, if I come down and I say, Spencer, I notice you—you know—you're betting fifty dollars, but then when the count is in your favor, you bump that up to five hundred. We're going to have to cap you at. 150 or 200. There is not enough money in card counting that if you can't make a big bet spread when the time is right, you're not going to make enough money. Because regardless of what you see on TV or what you've seen in the movies, card counting is a grind. And these guys sit there for four or five hours. And you got to understand, it's just because the The count is good for them. There's still luck on their uh, on the casino side. Right, casino may get a blackjack just as easy as they could, or get a twenty just as easy as they could. So you have to be able to sit out those tough times and bet at the right time and get
1: your get your share of that luck. Um. so let me interject on that. So what is a typical scenario? You're sitting there if, if you're able to watch these card counters where it's 50, 50, 50, all of a sudden it's 5,000 or what, what kind Five, of
2: – Maybe 500. Okay. They're not that obvious. You know. Gotcha. Um, well, first thing is when it comes to card counting, there is no magic or, or silver bullet. Okay. Sometimes people just make the right move at the right time by accident. Mm-hmm. You're not going to kick that person out. So you have to be able to watch this person over a long period of time. And it is not a single move that shows you that they're a card counter. Like, the count is plus three, which is, is a optimal time for somebody to make a, start making a move. And all of a sudden, they start taking insurance uh, when the dealer has an ace. That would be an obvious sign of a card counter because there is a list of 18 different moves that's called the illustrious 18 that card counters use and you know when whenever the count is at this point the illustrious 18 tells them what they need to do in order to maximize their profits interesting very good
1: all right good um, again maybe i'll just do this just to beat the concept a little bit i uh, how far can the casinos go and regulate? It's just extremely arbitrary if they decide you're a card counter. Whether you are or not, you're, uh, you're, they can come send somebody down to regulate you and stop your betting.
2: Uh, casinos, just like any other business, you can deny, deny business to anybody. You know, No shirt, no shoes, no service. Uh, you know, It's the same thing. as If they suspect you were doing something afoul which usually they have to have a pretty, you know, their surveillance teams are pretty so sophisticated. Um, they have to have a good reason for it, but pretty much they have set policies and procedures that they follow.
1: Have, have card counters ever successfully challenged either the restrictions placed on them or the, or the uh, unilateral right of the casinos to be able to regulate them? So... Not sure about the card counting side of
2: things, but Phil Ivey, a professional poker player, very well known professional poker player, uh, has been removed from a few casinos, and there was actually a lawsuit in which he was doing what was called edge sorting on baccarat, in which the backs the back side of a playing card has you know diamonds or whatever, yes. and if they're not cut perfectly. You you may have some cards that show that you know on the back side, and you could look for certain patterns on the back side of the cards. Phil Ivey learned how to do this and learned how to recognize certain card patterns for Baccarat, and took a uh, an Atlantic City casino for quite a bit of money, uh, millions I believe is would be the definition of quite a bit of money. That's Um, and they refused to pay him, first of all, because they, they discovered that he was edge sorting these cards and there was lawsuits involved and and whatnot. And so there, there, there are times when lawsuits can be filed by the players, you know, um, as well as by the casinos. Uh, but pretty much, when you see that sign at the table that says "malfunction voids all pays and plays," they mean it. If they if they see something wrong with the game, any game, it
1: voids that game. Well said. Appreciate that. All right, let me ask a couple of questions, just anecdotal. I. Uh, you ever see any cases where, or you've heard cases where someone's cheating, and it was just so, uh, just so blatant or obvious, it's worth talking about, or just your basic cheaters? You know, most of the time, it's it's
2: your basic cheaters. Um, it, people cheat for a couple of different reasons. Okay, the worst, the ones who are the most blatant, are the ones who are cheating to continue to play. Okay, I've gone in, I've run through my bankroll. I'm down to my last two $25 chips and I try to cap it. You know, I win the hand and I try to stick the other one on top of it real quick. Okay, why? Because I don't want to stop playing. Those are the guys who usually get caught. The the other ones are are usually set as teams. They're non-obvious. Um, those aren't the ones that get you know that are super blatant. It's always that guy
1: who who just wants to keep playing. Let me let me start. That's, that's an interesting concept. So you say teams. Where would these? How would a team operate that would uh, effectively cheat anybody?
2: Well, the the most fam- famous one was the um, the movie Twenty One, and that was a real team um, in which they. They had a group of card counters that were sending signals to each other. One person's job was to watch the table, figure out what the count was, uh, whether it was, you know there was more aces and king, uh, aces and face cards in the deck than than there normally would be, um, just because sometimes the lower cards get dealt out. And then they would sig- send signals to other people to come in and place large amounts of wagers. And teams are actually the most popular way of cheating casinos because it's harder to spot. Because, say uh, you know, one guy sitting there for hours and you can see them just counting the deck, you know they're counting. But somebody who just walks up to the table and places a $25,000 bet You don't know if they're getting lucky or... Oh, actually,
1: so you're saying... Okay, I got it. So it's still card counting, but you're saying the card counter, who's the mastermind, for lack of a better word, is counting the cards, and then they just bring in a random person as part of the team to make the bet. Yeah, they may signal to them or, you know, that person who's actually doing the counting
2: is not going to fluctuate their bet. Yeah. They're going to (laughs) continue to have the exact same bet, but they're going to signal to the guy across the table to up their bet significantly.
1: Yeah, so that, that was that's interesting because uh, again, if you're trying to get out of the card counting uh, prison, for lack of a better word, uh, how, how could you maybe how could somebody maybe they could text somebody or whatever? Somebody comes in completely at of random when the card counter thinks you're up to the next two or three hands that are going to win. How would you ever discover that?
2: Uh, typ- typically, that would come down to facial recognition as as one way. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're carded. When I say carded, I mean if you sign up for a players club card yes. at the casino, you receive a card. You get points, uh, which are you know good for, towards steak dinners, you know, free night stay. It used to be a long time ago that the, you know the pit boss could say, "Oh, I'm going to buy you dinner because you lost enough." Not anymore. You've got to have the points, and the points say whether or not. So, point scams become this huge thing. And so being able to ca- – you know, even card counters, even people who are, who, who are advantage players use their cards because they want to build up the points. And they, that's just another way they can take advantage of the system. Gotcha. Now, interesting thing going back to the, um, the team play is you have team play using electronic table games now because – Table games can be, you know, electronic, or they can be live. So um, you now have people who will offset bet on electronic games to earn more points. So let's say it's an electronic roulette game, and Spencer comes in, and he's only gonna, he's got ten thousand dollars in his pocket. Rick comes in, he's got ten thousand. You bet on black, I bet on red. Outcome's always gonna be black, red, or green which means that 5% chance that we're gonna lose, but if you're earning enough points to offset that 5%, you can't
1: lose. Interesting, very interesting. All right, good, let's switch a little bit now. We're gonna do a total U-turn here. Gambling addiction. Yes. USA gambling revenues increased to over $160 billion in 2018, at least so I read. Some studies have shown that people with alcohol abuse history are 23 times more likely to have a gambling addiction. Does gambling industry have any obligation to combat this at all?
2: Absolutely. Matter of fact, um, Gamblers Anonymous is is a strong, strong uh, force within within, within the industry. But one of the things that you're not mentioning here is that a large portion of that is sports betting, which is now becoming legal online. And so it's going to become worse than uh, before it becomes better. Because now it used to be, oh, you know, somebody with a huge gambling addiction, well, they're in debt to their bookie, whatever. Now they're just doing it right there on their phone. And they don't have to worry about some guy named Guido with hairy knuckles coming to rub them out. So it's going to get worse because over the next couple of years, I think more than, I, I want to say, 40 states are going to have legalized sports betting uh, that you can just do on your phone.
1: Right. So that's a good point. So what you're saying is that, you know, the a- the average person is kind of like, uh, you know, the person who orders, you know, uh, Uber Eats versus the person who goes to the restaurant. Most people aren't necessarily going to the restaurant anymore. They're doing it online or whatever. Yeah. But uh, so as in whether it's the casino individually or the gambling industry compositely sense, do they have an obligation to help to stem the, t- the tide of both gambling addiction or the combination between alcohol and gambling addiction? Or is that just something you can't do?
2: You you can in the brick, brick and mortars. Um, it's a little bit harder to regulate with the online gaming, uh, especially like when you're talking about an online casino, not just uh, sports betting, which I, I harped on just a few seconds ago. Um, online gaming, where you're playing a slot machine on your phone, usually that is an international company uh there's very few uh online casinos for money with actual online payouts
1: just had a crazy thought ready so could you could could you require someone take a breathalyzer before they get online <laughs> or even if you did that i guess you could sub in somebody who uh was not breathalyzed. Well,
2: and, and that's where uh, video poker came crashing down years ago is, is you, couldn't, you couldn't tell if they were 16 years old or 12 years old yes. or you know, they borrowed their mom and dad's credit card. It, 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 it's so difficult to regulate once it gets online. Because you have no idea who's actually doing the transaction. Yeah,
1: but that's 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 interesting. That's insidious. So, I mean, really, uh, if, if there really is an interest in, in trying to keep the most vulnerable out, are you just saying that online basically trumps that? Or?
2: Well, it does, except for the U.S. has actually taken some great steps in which they – and, and I, I'm not saying that the, anybody the, in the U.S. is holier than now. They did, they did those steps – so that they could collect tax dollars off of the winnings, mm. but what has happened is it's made it so that you have to become a known patron, and a lot of the tribal casinos are doing a great job where you actually have to go into the casino to load up your account, uh, so that you know they. You may have. Uh, I'm going to pick on let's say um, a Talking Stick Casino. Um, they may have an online casino, you know, for their app on your phone, but in order to put credits on there, you have to go to the casino, go to the cage and have that loaded up.
1: Good point. One more thing before I, uh, cause I got to come to a close in this, but just one thought on that was, uh, why, that reminds me of when I was a kid. And and I, I was you know 15 years old, and you got someone who was 21 to go buy the uh, the beers for you. Exactly, I, could you do the same thing under what you just said?
2: Once again, it's hard to regulate. You know, it, once it gets online, yeah. it's really hard to regulate, and especially if these casinos are operating out of the Isle of Man or you know some, somewhere where there's less regulation than here in the U.S. and even even Canada, has, you know, there may be less regulation, but You know, that's that's where it exists. It comes across the U.S., and you know, you've lost some control in the casino industry. If you're placing a wager on your phone, there has to be a way to detect whether or not it's Spencer. First of all, you're of age. Second, is that you're not going beyond your means. You talked about um, problem gambling and it really is an issue. Um, and it's going, got, like I said, it's going to get worse, especially with legalized sports betting, because that is, that is the place where I would say, I actually, I don't know the exact statistics, so I'm not going to try to come up with it, but it's a huge, huge
1: problem. Good. It's been great. You've, uh, been a very interesting guest. I appreciate that. Tell me a little about and tell our listeners a little bit about your business. I know you've got a, uh, a brand new uh, tool in effect that will probably help to revolutionize things and really help limit some of the card count. tell everybody about it.
2: Absolutely. So we, uh, we've invented and patented a uh, product called the Data Cradle. The Data Cradle sits underneath a standard blackjack shoe and proactively counts down the deck and alerts the surveillance department when the table is vulnerable to a card counter uh, that is about to make a move. This way, like I said earlier in the podcast, there is no magic bullet to know that it's a card counter, but if we can alert them and we can watch those players when the table is vulnerable, then you're going to discover who's card counting way earlier and be able to stop them earlier in the process than, than, than normal. The other thing is it's going to help to change... Uh, change some of the processes at the blackjack table. Right now, when somebody, when they shuffle up a six-deck shoe, which, you know, there's six decks of cards, right now they cut about a deck and a half into that to try to stop card counters. Um, and they're going to shuffle up before they get to that that full deck, deck and a half. Well, if we can reduce that to just a half a deck, then the casino's win increases by 1%, um, they get more hands per hour, but they can also use looser pay tables, and they can give more back to the player. Interesting.
1: Has this been proven effective already?
2: Yes. Great. There's yep. So several casinos where uh, we are live with it. Uh, Monarch Casino in Colorado, uh, Thunder Valley in Northern California, Pechanga in Southern California, um, quite a few different. Places that uh, not not sure if I'm allowed to share their names.
1: Good, I hate to say this, but you're uh, you're evening the odds uh, after evening the odds.
2: Yes, uh, you know, casinos have to be um, honest as well. They you know they have to give everybody a fair chance, and they try to. Um, they can they've continued to tighten things up as players uh, take advantage back from them. And so you see things like at a blackjack table, where it used to be 3-2 is is the reward for blackjack. You bet two to get three, to win three if you get a blackjack. Well that got tightened up to 5-6, you know, you have to bet five to win six because, why? Because advantage players were taking advantage of of the game, they were bringing the odds into their favor and taking more away from the house. Also, you've seen um, going from standard shufflers or hand shuffling to continuous shufflers where the cards are continuously shuffled. Players hate that, but the house has to do it so card counters can't exploit the house. So part of what we're doing is we're trying to make it so that we can alert, we can keep things even, and we can get the house to pay pay more to the players like I used to and give a better a better experience to those
1: players. Your product will help that. It does. Great. All right, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, talk to you more about this or talk about your product or anything like that, how would they do that?
2: Send me an email at rick at rolledupgaming.com.
1: Say that again slow because I think some of our people are going to be wanting to write this down.
2: rick at rolledupgaming.com.
1: Great. So again, my question is, I think I'm going to entitle this episode, A Trip to the Casino, A Good Investment. Is that true or don't bet on it?
2: Go for entertainment. Have fun, but never lose more than you can afford.
1: Great. Thanks for Enjoy talking to you. Thank you. You're welcome. We'd sure Law Group wish you a good and successful 2022.
0: Thank you for listening to Shear Law Group's podcast, Truth Serum Law, Real Estate, and Everything Else That Matters. For more on the law, go to www.shearlawgroup.com or contact Spencer or Joshua Shear. For more info on real estate, see your real estate broker or agent. Don't forget to mow your lawn, trim your hedges, and pay your mortgage. For more information on everything else that matters, Read good books. Cultivate good friends that you can share ideas with. Pray often. And do not place your hopes in governmental institutions. Write Spencer Shear if you want to argue the points made in this podcast. Finally, this podcast cannot be relied on as legal advice, and SLG disclaims any responsibility for the ideas presented. See an attorney if you have issues or problems related to the subjects mentioned in this podcast. Adios, amigos.